the Tom Flowers Cricket Coaching Podcast, brought to you by Bespoke Cricket, Rutland's premium cricket brand. For the best bats, pads and gloves, check out bespoke-cricket.co.uk. Here's what's coming up on the podcast. Whatever path the youngster takes, if you're looking to have that choice, the key for me is the, the values that the parents install. You can't get lost to football, to rugby. You can choose if you take them paths, but I don't think you can get lost to, to the other sports with a natural sort of pull towards them. When I got to university, it was evident that I was a bit different. Not going to private school didn't disadvantage me with making a professional cricketing career. They just gone, you know what? I've got a great opportunity here. I'd be daft not to maximize it. Not every kid wants to be put under the pressure to say, you will go to private school, you will become a cricketer, you will go on a cricket scholarship. Now, on with the podcast. Welcome to episode six, guys. TFCC podcast with me, Tom Flowers, your host for the day, ECB Level 4 Specialist Coach, Director of the TFCC Group Limited. But you know that already, guys. Right, okay, um, cut into the chase. We have to mention, after two weeks away, which I'm ever so sorry for, we've been ever so busy here at TFCC with uh, gearing up for our summer camp programme, I have to mention the test match. Okay, I hold my hands up. I spoke in the last episode, the Baz McCullum effect. Was it all bluster? We can safely say it wasn't. Unbelievable from Brendan McCullum and his team. What they've achieved in the last fortnight is nothing short of remarkable. The way the guys have gone about their cricket, the brand in which they... It's one thing stating you want to play a certain way. Uh, it's another thing doing it. And it's an even better thing when you then back it up and do it again and again. And that's the definition really of excellence is not just doing it once, but to be able to repeat something at such a high level again and again. I think the way that the mindset that McCullum's clearly got this team in and Stokes, to be fair, to play with without fear and to play with freedom and to express themselves. I think they're acknowledging that the current side they have of, of white ball players are good enough to do that if the conditions allow so. I think the positive effect it's then having on other players as well. We saw Alex Lees, for example, in the last test take the attack to the opposition. And look, whilst his natural game is to be more of an accumulator, we'd say, it's great that he feels that when the game is there for the taking, and it was so important that the innings started well and the momentum shifted towards England as it did at the end of the India innings and we took that momentum going forward as opposed to England we've seen the last few years of being 20 for three and having to almost rebuild with the opening part openers. So... That was awesome, but I think the way Bearstone and Root played, and I was speaking to one of our one-to-one customers' dads earlier, and I just said to him, look, get him to watch the way that Bearstone and Root played, because if you talk about a cricket going up the gears and going down the gears, but for two players to do both in the same innings is remarkable. And I'm talking about the way that Bearstow obviously was dominating the partnership with Root. Root then beat him to his 100. So Bearstow played the supporting role for the next 20 or so runs. Um, and then he obviously got the 100 himself. So I think for two players to play both roles like that within innings at such a high level is testament to the knowledge they have of their own game, but also that ability to swallow their pride and say, you know what, even though both players are in the form of their lives, and form's an interesting one because form you talk about being in good form but for what period of time does that that suggest if you talk about the the form that Bairstow's in yes over the last few months we would agree but Root can't constantly be in good form can he surely at some point we just go this guy's a great player I think when you've been when you've held such good form for so long I'd argue the bar rises of what the expectation is I just think that that Joe Root is just a quality 
ahead of Charles above anyone else in world cricket at the moment. So that's an interesting one. Right, guys, what I want to touch on in today's episode is the, the debate that was highlighted by Freddie Flintoff this week. I don't know if you saw the programme on BBC. Really worth a watch. I watched it on Catch Up. It just highlights the ongoing debate we have known about for years of state school v public school cricketers. The disparity between the percentage of state school cricketers that come through compared to the public school percentage. And there's some very interesting facts going around at the moment. You only have to look at any social media channel that's covering this to see some of the the stats that they're talking about. But one that really stood out to me was that there's been no regular, and by regular I think the stat was 25 more tests, 25 or more tests played. But there's been no regular batter from a state school since Paul Collingwood in 2011. Um, and I find that that stat, whilst there's loads going around about percentages of county players, percentages of current test players, I think that stat in itself suggests that there's an imbalance. But what I'm hoping to do today is give you a bit of a balanced view on on this topic, give you my take on the topic, because I'm quite well positioned on this, having been to state school, having managed to get to university and be part of a university programme, having played with and against lots of state but also private school independent school boys and then finally working within the private school sector before leaving that to obviously coach freelance as we do now hope you enjoyed today's episode here it goes so firstly i just want to get it out there i'm not fortunate to have kids yet if and when we do have children or even when I do have children, would I send them to private school if I could afford it? If they were sporty or musical, without a doubt, because at the moment, with the current provisions, whilst I would back my own parenting, and I think that applies to both state school, i.e. the lack of sporting help you would get at that level and expertise, I'm confident I could either provide myself, it was certainly within cricket, or have connections within cricket, and other sports to be able to signpost confidently a child of mine that was showing promise. Um, And also at the same time, if they did go to private school where clearly I think there is more better facilities, better resources, more qualified coaches, better investment in sport, better infrastructure, etc. I mean, I'd back my parenting in the sense that potentially some of the detrimental things that a youngster could get from that environment, and I'll talk more about that later, um, I'd back the parenting of myself there to, to to make sure that they were kept on the straight and narrow, if you like. So I think the key with both is that whatever path the youngster takes, if you're looking to have that choice, the key for me is the, the values that the parents install. Now, without a doubt, the and this is first-hand experience, the confidence, um, belief, the way that private school teaches you to carry yourself to conduct yourself, the body language, there's such a synergy between that and professional cricket that there is no doubt in my mind that having that confidence and reassurance in the way you, belief in yourself really, I think that that is what the private school sector gives you is second to none. So I think as a young man, we're talking about a male front here, I can't speak for a female front, I've not taught females in private school sector, but as a young man or a boy turning into a man, the belief, things like body language, eye contact, and the way you generally conduct and carry yourself, the values that the, the private school sector can teach, is not to say they can't be taught outside, but there's so much of it that's displayed in these schools. And look, that does border on arrogance occasionally. 
um, which is where I come back to the fact that good parenting and good values of parents will override any potential snags, hopefully, that youngsters could pick up in, in private schools. But that said, I was a state school educated uh, cricketer myself. So I was um, went to a local primary school. I then went to school in Melton Mowbray, um, Longfield, followed by King Edward Seventh. I think I can count on one hand the amount of games we had at high school so you know 11 to 14 I think we probably played three or four games of cricket when I got to six form at King Edward I don't think we played one we might have I think it was half an AstroTurf pitch I actually think my school's now closed down um, I don't think King Edward the seventh no longer actually the old part of the building no longer exists so that gives you an idea of the um, sort of deprivation if you like in the sporting state school sector but that didn't hold me back and I think that's a key thing to highlight here is that it's it shouldn't be a barrier to success I think it is but but it shouldn't and I was fortunate enough to have a cricketing parent who surrounded me with it my dad um, who's a good league bowler himself represented last year league 11 etc who was a, a a good role model and he integrated me into cricketing environments so that there for me I was already in them environments if I wasn't goodness no I would have would I have ever found cricket probably not because football when you're in state schools is the be all and end all and it's all you ever it's all you ever do and I think if you watch the Flintoff um, documentary you'd see that as well so it's cricket in the independent sector is there for you to access the pitches the facilities the equipment the coaching it is what you do one term a year and most good progressive cricket schools you'll be doing it winter nets from January onwards so you can't get lost to football to rugby you can choose if you take them paths but I don't think you can get lost to to the other sports but the natural sort of pull towards them now my experience of of state school cricket so really what I what I would say is the lack of cricket at state school opened other doors for me now I think where that was applicable maybe 16 17 18 years ago for me as a 14 15 year old a bit longer than that actually when I first started training with the with the pros at Leicester but I'd go down as a sort of 14 15 year old for winter nets and face guys like Otis Gibson and Stuart Broad indoors and they were you talk about the rite of passage from boy to man and I'd be taking time out of lessons I I, I vividly remember as a 16 year old taking time out of AS6 form I think I only sat half of my course because every Tuesday or whatever it was Tuesday morning I'd take Miss Double Geography and then I'd go and net down at Grace Road I'd get the bus from Asfordby where I was living with my mum to um into the city centre, I'd then get another bus from the city centre down to the bottom of Grace Road, I'd then have to walk up from Grace Road all the way up to the top, it was probably about an hour 40, hour 45 one way, um, two or three buses or a couple of buses and a couple of walks, kit bag on my back and off I went and that was throughout the winter and that was the norm really and once I could afford to drive I again would do the journey chugging up in my old Citroen AX two, three, four times a week and you know, you're expected then, I guess, as the rite of passage, you know, to fund yourself. So the lack of different now, I think, for academies and and the, the the funding and structures that are there to protect young academy players or young pros and young contracted players. But for me, I was I was having to balance at sixth form doing my A levels. Um, well, and they actually paid people to do A levels at my sixth form. So the education maintenance allowance, you might have heard of it. 
Um, there was people in my sixth form who were paid to be there, and I was what, single parent salary, so um, I'd get this maintenance money, and I'd think, right, okay, that's not enough to get me to, to Leicester and back X times a week. I had to take a little waitering job, which went on to be a bar job, which I worked a year or two early because I was shaving, which was great. But I, I, I remember during my school days where sixth form, I was playing second team cricket in the week for Leicestershire, which, look, again, is an advantage. You might not get to do that at private school because with scholarships, with commitments to the school, often they tie you into the fact that, well, no, you're representing us as the school, not Leicestershire or Somerset, whoever it might be. So actually, I think I had an advantage there. But I remember having to fund you know, my car, my car insurance, my petrol, my match fees to play club cricket, everything else that comes with it, my kit, whatever it might be. And that is their values and lessons that, that stick with you for life. Now, I can only compare that to, let's say, a youngster at one of my old schools where I worked at, Sherbourne School. So they might board there where that whole focus during term time is sport and education. They don't have to work. They don't have to do chores at the house. They don't have to... So your whole focus then can become on purely on your cricket, your recovery, your fitness and your studies. And cricket and studies were just one part of it for me. Earning money and trying to fund that, that them two things and, and, and balance the two with the other parts. So I do think that there's a different perspective. When I got to university, it was evident that I was a bit different. These guys were, majority were scholarship players, young pros already at counties. They had been fast-tracked through private schools. And there was a certain aloofness, arrogance surrounded by it. To me, it didn't affect me one little bit. I'd been, had the advantage, I guess, through state school of playing adult cricket at 11, 12, and I'd come across some pretty nasty characters. And that today it was water off a duck's back, a, you know, a slightly wet round the ears, 18-year-old fresher who who tries to put me down with a comment. Yeah, the, the, water off a duck's back, you know. I've been playing two years of second eleven cricket by then. But I think the what it did show me was that there was a clear difference. And I I did feel different, but I can safely say I was still myself. But when you've got at university level teams that are influenced potentially by certain characters and certain cliques etc I'd like to think that I got on with everybody but there was certainly a difference between me and sort of even like even the banter and the sense of humour I just struggled with certain guys the majority of the guys I got on really well with but there was just a few who who didn't quite get me and you know what I didn't get them and I knew we were a million miles apart and look you, you can't blame each other for, for upbringings you can just be be tolerant and supportive of each other and, and I've always believed judge people on on first sight and um, give everyone a chance so I think I've probably found that easier than some of them guys but there we go look so I look at my my cricket and all the while there I was sort of affiliated to Leicester on the academy I then went on sort of a pay-as-you-play package when I got to university and kept in touch very much so and I can safely say that in my own experience not going to private school didn't disadvantage me with making a professional cricketing career I didn't sustain a cricketing career for one reason only because I wasn't good enough in the end. I didn't score enough hundreds. And I reiterated that in previous episodes and I stick to that fact. Okay, It's nothing to do with the education I had or the opportunity I didn't get. I forced opportunity through weight of runs and performances. So I created my own opportunities and graft and sacrifice. But it wasn't down to the fact I went to state school. What we now see though 
and Flintoff highlights it. You know, going into inner city schools in Preston with school with young boys who have been maybe excluded, etc., and their inner city. So they're interviewing parents who know nothing about cricket, have certain attitudes towards cricket. They've had it ingrained to them that cricket's for posh people, it's for aloof people, it's for people who are above and beyond them. And and what was clear to me was that the the lack of hope and the lack of ambition in these kids whether they want to be cricketers footballers doesn't matter that there was just a lack of ambition and a lack of self-worth and lack of value of what they were and I think that that's what I found hardest to watch put the cricket aside to it personally I've never had that lack of value or self-worth and I have my parents to thank for that and before I I watched that and my my view in the past may well have been you know, well, the, these kids have all got a choice. You know, there's a system, there's a state system where if you work hard enough, you get qualifications, you can get jobs. But actually, I've I, I have changed in the last few years on my view of that. And this program about cricket bring it into the light with Flintoff really shows that if you start on the back foot and you genuinely believe that whatever you do, there's no hope for you or you don't see a way out and you don't see a way of progression, then it becomes a vicious circle and a hole that you just keep digging deeper. So it's really worth a watch, guys. I'd definitely, definitely watch it. But I think come back to the private school cricketing element. I've got loads of mates who've been through private school and they've done very well. And the, the clever ones, I think of the Harry Gurneys, for example, the James Taylors, guys I was quite close to at a younger age who have gone on and, and really made a cricketing career. The clever ones recognised the unique opportunity they had and made the most of it. So they weren't they weren't they weren't arrogant, they weren't above anyone. They just gone, you know what? I've got a great opportunity here. I'd be daft not to maximize it. And I think that's where the clever ones get it right. They get this opportunity of private school whether it's for a scholarship, whether it's through parental sacrifice or parental family money whatever it might be, but they damn well make the most of it. It's one thing getting presented with an opportunity don't underestimate having to take the opportunity and the pressures that come with having to take the opportunity. Not every kid wants that. Not every kid wants to be put under the pressure to say, you will go to private school, you will become a cricketer, you will go on a cricket scholarship, you will get your fees subsidised, so you're expected to perform. And there are two sides to this, and I think that it's important that we we highlight that. It's not these kids' fault that they're getting the best facilities, they're getting access to the best coaches, but it's an opportunity. And where they go with that opportunity, I've seen it go both ways. I've seen youngsters score double hundreds at schoolboy level, you know, as young pro rugby players who could have been cricketers who have just gone down the wrong path. I've seen youngsters who maximised every ounce of ability and have gone on to play county cricket for a number of years. So there are two sides to that. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to leave us a review and follow us so you never miss an episode.